the tricky thing is that we get so set into these rigid ideas that have actually been socially conditioned. So it's not an all or nothing. It's, it's you know, or an either or. It's a both and. Let's shake and welcome back to All In. And we're gonna dive right in today. Before we do, I want to ask you to share this with at least three people because we don't take sponsors and the only way we impact more people, help more people is because of you. So please help us out today and you're going to want to because Gemma Rain is back for a second episode. We got into a lot of conversations around relationships and how to even maybe separate when the person is a good person. How do you know what time it is? But then also we were talking a little bit about toxic masculinity, which I think is where we're going to start today. Gemma, welcome back. Thank you so much, Rick. I'm happy to be here. I love this because as we start to figure out where we're going to go with today's episode, you were talking about toxic masculinity. And I, I was saying the inverse is positive masculinity. Mm-hmm. And this is a... a I know you have questions for me on this, and uh, I if I can, may start around this, is I feel that Absolutely. toxic masculinity is a phrase that's used a lot <laughs> when when women don't feel like their man is really being a man. And uh, I, I can see it as almost like a conundrum, right? Almost like a, it, it's a paradox, I think, mm-hmm. for men. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. It, they, they, they want to step up and they want to be a man, but then there's this inverse side of, oh, but you got to be sensitive and you ha- I need you to hear me. And, you know, which are, which are all very, very true. You know? mm-hmm. But then it becomes, well, well, which one? And it's like we feel like sometimes we have to bounce back and forth between these two personas. Mm-hmm. in order to not be taken the wrong way and actually step up and quote unquote be the man in a relationship it's an interesting paradox from my perspective yeah absolutely i mean i love even listening to you describe that it you you actually helped identify the problem that it feels like there's only two options and that they're compartmentalized so already straight out of the gate there's a lack of integration for men about what it means to be a man and so i don't love i think toxic is a word that's overused anyway i mean yeah. I use it myself but i think as soon as you put toxic in front of it if if i put myself in a guy's shoes i'm already feeling a little defensive i already feel that you're criticizing being a man right so um i prefer to use bell hooks term which is patriarchal masculinity right because what's happened is from the time you know men are little boys they are actually conditioned to not have choice right they're conditioned to behave in a certain way that patriarchal masculinity says this is what it means to be a man and as i think we touched on before it's about a mindset of competition of win or lose only those two options of power over in order to feel empowered that's false empowerment right so if we shift it to patriarchal masculinity and understand that that's what's damaging for both men and women the difference is for a man it compromises his authentic sense of self and for a woman it can actually lead to a life-threatening situation yeah, no doubts. There's a there's an interesting book that I read since the last time you were on 
and mm-hmm. it's called Understanding Women. And I, I'd have to find, I do Audible all the time. I'd have to find, mm-hmm. I think it's by Beth. Uh, I'm going to find it here. Oh, geez. See, I got the new iPhone 13, and <laughs> I haven't signed back into Audible yet because I just activated this thing, and this is why it's going to take. Now I get all the messages, hey, I got it, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> this is hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> back to what we were talking about. Anyways, the book is called Understanding Women. It was actually a... Uh, Alison Armstrong. There we go. I don't know if you, mm-hmm. you've listened to it. I haven't but read that. Yeah, there, I know it. There's a book. The, the audio version I really like because I listen to most from an audio perspective, but this one was actually a live recording from a, an event that she was hosting. So mm-hmm. you actually get to hear her inflections and, and vocal tones and, and just some of the humor behind some of this stuff too. And, so, and the energy. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. And some of what she was talking about was about men you know and this is from a positive masculinity Mm -hmm. perspective was that men's innate instinct is to be the provider and protector like Mm -hmm. like like hands down she's like that's what they they like years worth i mean i'm talking like millennia worth of Mm -hmm. instinct that's built into them and when they come because this comes back to the you know well women need to feel like they need to like they're heard right by Mm -hmm. men and Mm -hmm. Men will struggle with this sometimes, but then it becomes, if they don't do this, it becomes toxic masculinity like we're talking about. (laughs) But they're already thinking, her example was using a pool. She wanted a pool in her backyard. And the pool was going to cost, I don't know, $30,000, something like that, in-ground pool. And he just like hands down vetoed it without anything Mm -hmm. else, and she felt shut down. Mm-hmm. In that moment, whereas his mind went to after they finally cleared the air, had the conversation to, well, 30 years down the road, that pool is not $30,000 because we'd have to pull the 30K out of our retirement fund. And that 30K really is going to be $250,000, <laughs> you know, year, decades yeah. from now. So he was at the, from that provider and pr- protector mentality mm-hmm. saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm setting us up for a secure financial future. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. interesting to hear the two per- perspectives on that because it was her own experience with her husband right. who she loves very, very much. But right. it could have been to where she felt shut down, vetoed. She, she did feel that because mm-hmm. that was his area of responsibility, but she didn't feel like he heard her out on any of this. Mm-hmm. But then she didn't recognize that, oh, he actually is doing exactly what I asked him to do mm-hmm. in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's the role that he's taken on. It was interesting. You know, that could have gone very, very badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a common event. pattern, yeah. right? That you just described um, from her perspective. And you can see where the disconnection comes in. And I would also add in that in terms of this idea of being a, a men understanding that their worth is about being a good provider, that that's innate. I'm not so sold on that. I'm not completely dismissing it. It's just when you go back to hunter and gatherer days, sometimes the men weren't successful in their hunting expeditions and all the food was provided from what the women were gathering. So they were right. So they were also providers. Right. So I think the tricky thing is that we get so set into these rigid ideas that have actually been socially conditioned. So it's not an all or nothing. It's, it's, you know, or an either, or it's a both and. Oh yeah. Right. So it's, it's, to me, it's about, um, for people expanding their sense of, of their worth so that men understand your worth is actually about your being and your worth is about being a provider. 
you don't have to choose, right? Because then men become, then their worth becomes really contingent upon, you know, success in their careers. That's so limiting, That's That's what a lot of men dive into and sort of attribute to their value is what am I bringing to the table from a, from a stability perspective, you know, financial, uh, shelter, all of that. And that, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying on that as well. This was just their scenario. And I feel that it would, I'm with you that it it would vary from relationship to relationship. Yeah. You know, and I I think I brought up my brother last episode too, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a, Mm -hmm. his scenario is where his wife makes more than him. She's a CPA, you know, he's, he's a technical support manager for cars.com and their Mm -hmm. relationship works very, very well that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're both contributing and from a financial perspective, she is more so than he and Mm -hmm. they're perfectly good with it, which is awesome. But they've also had a lot of communication around these roles. Mm-hmm. versus uh, you went back to the or you started with this word versus a competition yeah I, I think that plays into relationships a lot I think society in general conditions us with a mindset of competition and men more so than women women are encouraged and supported through many opportunities of learning collaborative thinking, a collaborative mindset and men are actually discouraged from that so I'm not saying that competition can't be fun Right. I mean, well, of course, there's value in that. Yes. Right, right. There's value in that. <laughs> it can However, even be foreplay. <laughs> right. Right. It's just that when it becomes really a rigid and a dominant yeah. mindset, that's when it's problematic in a relationship, and also just for men moving through life in general. Right. Because it's a focus on external validation of your worth. Yeah. Whether you're winning or losing. Right. So that's a problem. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, are you saying that it's an external validation of your worth? It really absolutely has nothing to do with your relationship itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's important. We all, you know, for, for all of us, we do care what people think of us, right? That is part of how we learn to see ourselves is by the feedback and the input we get from other people. And yet we also want to be able to cultivate our sense of worth on our own, from our own understanding of ourselves, what we value about ourselves. Yeah. Right? Do you think that the this, if you want to call this toxic, we could call it toxic competition mm-hmm, <laughs> relationships. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, that, that, that's probably pretty accurate, at least from how our discussion today. How, mm-hmm. how does that play into... Or does that, is that really the cause to anybody in a relationship saying, well, I need to make sure that I'm financially independent on my own? You know, is, it, is that a red flag in and of itself if you see these things popping up and that's the way that you're thinking? No, I don't think so. And I, and I was going to ask actually ask you about that too, right? Because in terms of what we're talking about with this um, identification for men and part of their identity being that to be good men, they have to be good providers. What does that mean for a man then in society now as women become better and better at being financially independent? Right? Isn't there then a threat to that if if that is how a man's if that's worth? What stuck on, yeah, yeah, yeah right. For sure. You know, so for women, when they were, you know, years ago, decades ago, when they really didn't have as many options to be financially independent, right? When that was blocked, they didn't have that much choice in their relationships, whether they stayed or or left. 
right? So yeah. it's it's really a factor now, their financial independence. This is not a loaded question. The financial independence side mm-hmm. of it, I wanted to preface it with that. How do you bring that into a relationship without fostering toxic competition? Okay, well, you tell me about <laughs> more about what you're thinking in terms of how it creates, you know, toxic competition. Look at you. I, lo- I love the, the, the conversation. No, the, the, <laughs> you know, what I'm getting at is if you see yourself, because competition is something that I've never wanted to see in any kind of relationship. Okay. Uh, and, and it's if you have the conversation ahead of time. And even when, when I was doing some pastoring, I would have these types of conversations in sort of like the premarital counseling, right? Or just mm-hmm. the, I, I, it's more coaching is what I was doing mm-hmm. to say, hey, here are some things. And I would never dictate what they should decide because that's not Mm -hmm. my place, right? And even Mm -hmm. in what you do as a coach, you want to lead people to their own decisions Mm -hmm. on things. So I would spark the conversation and say, here's some things that you should talk about. You know, Mm -hmm. who, what happens when you guys start? Now we'll take like the, the quintessential textbook, which doesn't happen too much anymore. You know, two single people coming together, going to have kids someday, don't have kids right now. So it would just for this example, talk about what happens when you have kids. You know, mm-hmm. is somebody going to quit their job at that point? And yeah. who would be the primary breadwinner, so to speak, for the family? You know, mm-hmm. would would the woman go back to work, you know, in a heterosexual marriage? How would this mm-hmm. work for you? Have these conversations now ahead of time. You know, you've got some time, but maybe this is something to bring up even before you say, I do. That way mm-hmm. there's no misconceptions three years, five years down the road, whatever, when this comes up in the form of a toxic competition and you guys find out that you're not on the same page. Absolutely. I completely agree. And so in that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm assuming that you're thinking as well that let's say a woman became more financially successful than her partner in a heterosexual relationship, then he could feel somewhat threatened. Yeah. It, it, without this type of conversation, you got it. He, yeah, rather than, you know, if his worth isn't contingent upon his financial success, then it's not a threat. Then it's great. We can enjoy a different lifestyle if there's more money, right? And I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of talking about all of those. You know, I, I remember with my ex-husband before we had kids, we talked a lot about what's the parenting going to look like. Yeah. And, I, you know, both of us really wanted it to be 50-50, and, and you're right, people don't talk about those details a lot. They also don't talk about what love is. Ooh, Truth. Right? Yeah. So I really think that what I observe in um, some relationships is that it's really about care more and there isn't, there isn't love being cultivated Right. It's about, you know, there, there are a number of elements to love and care is one of them. However, what some people are feeling in their relationship is it, it doesn't feel like love hmm. and that they don't want to say that. They think that that just would be the most, you know, hideous thing to say until maybe if they do decide to leave the relationship. Right. So going into a relationship, people also don't talk about how do you nurture and cultivate love? Yeah. What is that? 
what are rhythms for connection that we're going to have? You know, because absolutely, uh, yeah, the care is the thing that kind of I'm hearing you, and care is the thing that sort of bubbles to the surface and becomes sort of the primary, I would think. But mm-hmm. then that could lead to not so great of a codependent relationship. Which could also, if I mean, if there's no love there years down the road and all you have is the care, that's great. You could have a good friend, a best friend that could care for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Versus a, a partner. You know, it's a different scenario. And I, yes. I wish that and that becomes the, while probably the seed of a lot of discontent too in yes. relationships because they recognize that there's nothing more than that. But on the, on the, the the horrible inverse side of that too is it's probably one of the things because that care does exist that will keep people in an unhappy relationship because of fear of losing that care. Yes, I agree with you. Fear of losing it, fear of what it means to be alone, the society's conceptions about being alone, that you're not whole unless you're with somebody, right? People not knowing how to love themselves. Like, you know, there's all this talk about self-love right now and and I find people don't know what that is when you ask them about it they'll start describing um, practices of care right huh. which which isn't love it's an it's a it's a dimension of love it's an yeah. element of love but it, it's not actually going to feel that fulfilling right and the same thing in a relationship and you're right in terms of that codependent part if people are really interacting with their partner to try to get you know needs met that they're not even really aware of and not aware of the the adaptive strategies they've developed since their childhood to try and kind of almost unconsciously manipulate situations people get really you know triggered by the word manipulate it's truth though it's the right word (laughs) right i mean we all kind of do it sometimes unconsciously right um so I think that's a big part of it is understanding what love feels like, that love is going to ebb and flow, that it happens in, you know, Barbara Fredrickson, um, who wrote Love 2.0, talks about micro moments of love and expanding mm-hmm. our understanding of love, right? That it's not just in, you know, romantic relationships or friendships, relationships with kids, that we can actually have these micro moments of all these positive emotions being evoked with like a small exchange with a stranger even. Yeah. Right. But couples get stuck in this place of um, complacency. Right. And they're not consciously cultivating those moments in the same way. They're not usually consciously cultivating desire. Ooh. Yeah. That's a big one too. That's something that has to be stoked. Right. But, but think of, Right. You understand that, but there's a lot of people, a lot of, you know, and and men who don't, right? And so they're, they're actually yearning for intimacy just as much as women. And yet in many heterosexual relationships, they get stuck in their rigid ways of trying to get intimacy, right? Men through sex, women through talking. Yeah. Through emotional connection. And that actually distances them even more. Goodness. Right. And, and what you find a lot, like there's a reason that, you know, one of my videos about desire went viral is because women were saying, yes, this guys don't understand this in terms of cultivating desire and arousal over time. Right. That that's how a lot of women are aroused uh, over time. It's not immediate arousal. And so focus on the seduction and the desire process. Right. Rather than, you know, how many times a week or a month 
people are having sex. So you're saying as a man, you should leave women hanging every now and then just to be like, yes, yes, <laughs> There's absolutely. <a> yep. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and learn some skills of seduction and cultivating desire yeah. of letting the imagination, you know? Yeah. The art of seduction. Also another very good book. Yes. I don't know if you've read that yeah. or not, but yeah, yes, it's, it's phenomenal. Have, yeah. Yeah. Interesting turn of conversation. Yes. <laughs> these are these are all so true. And it's uh, we're talking a lot. I mean, we're almost painting like a doom and gloom picture here. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about sadly bubbled to the surface when people were stuck in their homes for so long with each other this past yeah. year. And they realized yeah. as you were talking, especially about Kara and, and the work in complacency, complacency, it's like that's where some probably got stuck is in the complacency of care. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. all they saw in front of them. And then it became obligatory Right? Oh, I'm so glad you brought up that word. <laughs> you know, not, a, not a desire to care for that person anymore, but you feel obligated to do so rather than something you can or even more so want to do. Yes, I, I think obligatory is such a big word in terms of uh, relational dynamics, right? And, and going back to not just care, but again, love. When love feels like a choice, it's incredibly powerful when mm-hmm. it feels obligatory. And unfortunately that happens in long-term relationships and marriages as well, right? When you really care about someone's well-being, when you care about their fulfillment and you're, you're not feeling this reciprocity of love, you're not feeling like true love helps people feel their spirit feels alive, oh, yeah. right? They yeah. feel like they're growing. They feel connected to their true self. They feel more open-minded and innovative and creative. And, you know, people talk about, that's why in the initial stage, when people fall in love in terms of, you know, the chemical reward, right? Those first 18 to 24 months. High, you got the it, word, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the serotonin low, and they'll talk about feeling alive. The oxytocin bonding, everything. Yep. Right. So what happens after that stage in terms of, again, you know, cultivating, you know, small moments of that. Right. And so in a long term relationship, people often do feel this sense of obligation to their partner. Right. So then it doesn't feel like a love of choice. And yet that makes them feel so incredibly guilty. So then they shut that down. They, they suppress that awareness yeah. instead of, like you said, we're, we're maybe painting a doom and gloom, but we have to identify the problems accurately, Amen. right? Exactly. <laughs> then you're right. stuck in an uh, obligated relationship, or at least mm-hmm. you're not stuck because stuck is a choice from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, if mm-hmm. somebody feels stuck or whatever, like, cool, then you can change what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. what's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the mm-hmm. same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right. That's right. A, yes. right. Yeah, if, if you feel obligated to do so, cool, change it. And it's tough, but especially when you have a misconception around what love is. And mm-hmm. you go back to the care, but then it's like, okay, well, th- there's a lot of effort that will need to be done. Hey, there's a lot of effort both ways. There's a yeah. lot of effort to stay stuck. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. And there's a lot of effort to build a good, healthy relationship. Both of them take work. So yep. which, which one are you going to stay in this middle area to where you're just lazy and you're just ignoring reality of what's going on right now? Mm-hmm. Or which side are you going to put work into? Because it takes effort to stay stuck and it takes effort to have a healthy 
relationship or it takes mm-hmm. effort to get out of a toxic relationship. Everything takes work. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. And the more, and, and in terms of people feeling stuck, they often, because of that emotional state that they're in, it actually kind of hinders curiosity Right. And we need to tap back into curiosity and to ask ourselves the right questions in terms of understanding why do I feel stuck? Yeah. What can I do to, to start tapping into my worth again and what my, my desires and my dream for a better future? And what does that mean? And how do I, you know, in terms of the work put into a relationship, I like to think of it in terms of investment in the growth of the relationship. Amen. Yep. Right. I think that sounds a little more motivating than work because no one's asking for more work. (laughs) Right. Nobody likes work. No. You know (laughs) what I mean? So if you think about it in terms of nourishing a relationship, nourishing nourishing the connection, and along with that, that also means nourishing yourself. Mm, Yeah. Not just putting it all on the relationship in terms of your fulfillment. What are you doing? What are you bringing? What can you change? And looking inward first and saying, okay, there's this scenario. How can I change the way that I'm being perceived? Or how can I, mm-hmm. I can't control the other person's feelings. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. But how can I change the way? Because there's a, di- there's a different way when you look at it like, okay, this individual, my partner, my, my boyfriend, girlfriend, my mm-hmm. whatever, my friend even, mm-hmm. if there's a way that their brain can only hear some things. And I know this from being a communicator. It's like you identify your audience and I'm not, I'm dumbing it down real hardcore here, right? When you identify who you're actually speaking to and when you get to know that person, you can change your form of communication so that they are able to hear you better. Absolutely. I I agree with you so much. I mean, and, and this has been an interesting process because um, the men who don't feel threatened by what I'm saying, who understand, I am not blaming men, you know, for the dynamics in this all, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some men do. I mean, some men really do. They're coming after me. Um, I'm really, I want both men and women to send, understand. Send them my way if they're coming okay, after you. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> that, that patriarchal masculinity is very damaging to men too, right? Because it's teaching you from a young age to disconnect from yourself. If you're discouraged from feeling, identifying and moving through a full range of emotions, think about how that's then also in terms of love, how that's going to affect your ability to receive and to give love. You have been taught to move through life with shifting all of your um, unpleasant emotions to frustration and anger. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've been thinking the same thing the past couple of days. So keep going and I'll give you my take. No, too. I yes. want it. Yeah, I do want your take, you <laughs> know, this, this especially as a man. Like self-awareness is a big thing of mine. And I try to do this. So some work I've been doing on myself the past several months was around this because frustration and anger are very basic emotions. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're very basic negative emotions. You know, they're, they're called negative, but it just means they're on that side of the spectrum. Unpleasant, really. Yeah, there right? you go. That's yeah. a better word. Yeah. And with those two, when, when I f- have felt those the past several months, it's like instead of continuing that way or even apologizing for being angry or frustrated mm-hmm. in the moment, I would, I would take a moment, and I'm still doing this, to just sit 
And this has to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like I've even been logging my emotions now in different emotional waves. <laughs> You're clapping. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll wait there even just for a minute. But then it's the, the question is like, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm going yes. to sit here a minute and allow myself to feel this because I feel like this foundational emotion, you know, of frustration and anger is really there and it's masking what I'm actually feeling or the why on why I'm feeling the way around this situation, this person, whatever. And then I'll just sit there and, and let myself sit in that for a moment. <laughs> and then I'll end up coming up with the why. And then it's like an illumination for me saying like, oh, okay. So it, then it becomes, okay, well, what action can I take? Because now I truly understand the why I allowed the frustration and the anger to pass and let me sit in it for a minute to have that answer to the question, why am I mm -hmm. feeling this way? And then it's like, what action do I have to take? Is it a conversation? Is it a change in my own behavior? Mm -hmm. Because during those couple of moments of sitting, I'm actually able to even maybe see it a little better from the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love all of that. I mean, you <laughs> kind of took all the words out of my Sorry. mouth. Absolutely. So this has been the past couple of months for me is trying to, to be self-aware about the emotional waves and why I'm feeling the way that I feel in any particular moments. Yeah, and this is what I, I'm excited about people hearing you talk about that process because then maybe they can have more compassion for themselves in the you know, you're not a child yeah. of, of five or 12 figuring this out. You're a man who's had decades of life experience and you're recognizing there's still more room to grow. I'm just figuring this out now. So many people don't know how to identify what they're feeling and move through it and be compassionate with themselves so that they can move through it in a way that feels safe and that they feel the sense of their own support. Yeah. Right. And that with frustration and anger, not always, but it can often be a secondary emotion. Exactly. It, it'll mask the real thing that's going on. Bingo. You yes, got it. That's, that's, which is that's why, why you, have I love sit, it. you have to sit in it <laughs> for a moment. Yes. And get curious. Right. Yeah. And so we're, again, we're patriarchal masculinity like really boxes men in is that there are all kinds of very destructive messages around expressing, you know, with themselves and with other people, feelings of hopelessness, of fear, of grief, of shame, of yeah. embarrassment, right? They, they're, they're told, no, 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 men don't, that's disempowering, right? And so they're stuck. They don't know how to identify it with themselves. It makes them feel like less than, and they don't know how to talk to their partners about it. And so they flip into frustration and anger. So a very, very common yeah. pattern uh, is that they then take it out on the people that they're around. Right. Yeah. And, and again, with that, you know, with the societal kind of power differential between men and women or, or, you know, with an adult and a child, it's, it, there's an implicit threat in there. Of right, course there like is. anyone who's had a dad who's like gotten angry, like when you're driving. I mean, so many people have these stories of being in the car and dad gets angry, and everyone holds their breath. Yeah, yeah, right, because he doesn't know what was going on first before the anger came in. He felt a sense of inadequacy because he got lost, or he, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or or something else happened earlier that day, and he doesn't know how to identify what he's feeling and to have a compassion for himself about the suffering of those feelings and to move through it. 
that's so important too. And I, I find it actually, rather than being disempowering, I find it very empowering because yes. if, if you allow yourself, cause if I close my eyes and I think of just almost like floating in a raft down a river, riding mm -hmm. that emotional wave that's mm -hmm. there and then allowing whatever the frustration, and the anger to pass in order to find the answer of why it's only then when I realized the, the truth of what I was feeling and why I was feeling it to yeah. where I can determine what the best action is and taking action is extremely empowering <laughs> for, for a male specifically, but you can't get to that, that centered, you know, wholehearted truth of yourself action unless mm -hmm. you allow yourself to move past and through the frustration and anger into the true why of how you're feeling yeah. in the moments. Yeah, absolutely. And the process that you're talking about is this integration then with self-knowledge and action, right? And you also mentioned being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes yeah. better and yeah. look at it from their, their perspective. So in, in frustration and anger, people get very locked in this, you know, myopic perspective. And also in that then comes blame. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're angry, you're looking for who to blame. Yep. Right. And so you're creating further distance from yourself and further distance from the people that you're with. And that is um, not just in terms of personal transformation, but in terms of relational transformation, that is key is people being able, both men and women to identify Here's what I'm feeling. Like women are encouraged to be more in touch with their emotional experience and landscape. However, because they're conditioned to, um, you know, to think that their worth is about caring for others, they still have a lot of challenges with managing their emotions, with caring for themselves. For sure. With their emotions, right? This is, a, so, yeah, this is a two way street. This is both. We've been talking a lot about men and how they process emotions, but it's the same on the female side too, especially yeah. I, I could see in a, in a not so great relationship to where the female has taken on more of a masculine role because mm -hmm. of lack of whatever the partner is or is not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And around the blame side of it too, because it, for women, men, whatever, when, when you're in this mode, you know, the opposite of blame is ownership. Right? Yeah. So yeah. the only way to even come to that point to where you can own your choices, own your emotions, own your actions after the fact, and own what you're bringing to the table or not bringing to the table is to, I feel anyways, is to allow yourself to ride through that, like mm -hmm. we've been talking, you know, and mm -hmm. to settle back into the positive masculinity and the positive femininity that mm -hmm. can coexist very healthy in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many layers to that is like there's what you're describing. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Is is understanding the um the reinforcing feedback loops that happen in relationships yeah. that when we go into a place of anger and blame and like you said, not taking accountability for our part in it, it's very linear thinking. And it, it, it's relational thinking helps better in terms of yeah. the, you know, a deeper understanding of what's going on in the, in the dynamic and taking responsibility for, you know, here's maybe what I was doing or wasn't doing. And, and like you said, it's empowering to understand ourselves in that way because then we have choice. I can do it differently the next time. Bingo. You got it. What's right. a way when you coach people, what's a way for to, to do like a pattern interrupt? on that feedback loop because if you're feeding off of each other in anger in the moments how do you break that so that you both can come back to that point of understanding why you're there to begin with um so many things one i think the pause 
right, to understand that um, once that kind of, you know, Daniel Goleman describes it as emotional flooding, once that starts, once, you know, now we use the language of being triggered, right? Once your nervous system has been activated, you're prefrontal cortex is offline you are not thinking logically it's a adrenal response at that point yeah, yeah. And, and and it's usually because of you know small t or large t trauma from childhood right yeah. so part of it is understanding um our our relational patterns right of what what triggers us what our wounds are how you know start healing yourself and we also heal in relationships it's it's both and and so understanding for example um you know, a lot of the people that I coach have a trigger, an emotional wound around feeling invisible hmm. or that they didn't matter or that their needs weren't recognized, prioritized. And anytime they sense that unconsciously in an exchange with their partner, their nervous system is activated. Wow. Right. So it's also awareness around your patterns. Do you go into fight mode? Do you go into shutdown mode? Right. And, and then how do you take care of yourself to get yourself back to a place where you can engage with your partner and actually hear what they're saying and share what's going on for you? Yeah. So pause. It, once it's off the rails, pause. Don't continue the conversation. Oh, right on. I wish there was like a white flag or something that somebody yes. could, could Not saying that anybody's surrendering in the moment or anything of that. It's like, we, we, need, we need a pattern interrupt here. We, you, absolutely. And, and exactly like what you were saying in terms of the conversations that are so beneficial for people to yeah. have if they're considering marriage. It's really beneficial to have a conversation with your partner around, you know, here's what I notice is triggering for me and and your partner can weigh in in a compassionate way not in a critical way i also notice you get upset when this or that happens to help you know yourself better that type of exchange and to talk about listen can we have an agreement that one or the other of us or both calls that kind of pause moment where we can we can kind of go off and take 20 it takes 20 minutes apparently to soothe our nervous system and in that process of walking away to soothe your nervous system you have to be careful about how you're communicating with yourself because if you're being really self-critical you're triggering your threat response again yeah it's you keep yourself in the loop at that point absolutely with the same thoughts over and over and over again about the injustice or you know whatever take a walk outside take a drive listen to your favorite feel-good music something else that gives you some other different kind of stimuli other than your own head yes (laughs) in that 20 minutes yeah absolutely because once you're activated you really can't hear what your partner's saying yeah right you don't have an open mind at that point we are just like rapid but you know it's been like 35 minutes already and we haven't <laughs> Look what we've up. covered. i know good god <laughs> this is incredible i um I, with this yeah 38 minutes my team is telling me that's phenomenal this is great <laughs> we just keep going here i have a, a question for you yeah shoot now that we took a pause we took a 20 second pause you, right there yeah yeah so in, <laughs> okay. I mean, a question just immediately popped up for me yeah. as you were saying that that you know when you talked about this process that you've been practicing for yourself, right? And in terms of change, it's 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 practice with it like repetitive practice, right? And deep practice and thinking about what went right for me, what was effective, what wasn't effective, what can I yeah. do differently? And so your understanding that's been really effective in terms of personal growth. I'm curious if it's um, 
a situation where you've had an exchange with somebody else and you recognized, you know, frustration, anger, and then you took a moment to really kind of dive deeper and have a better understanding of maybe was there another emotion I was feeling first? What's the process then for you that you've recognized as effective? You're like smiling already, so maybe you know where I'm going with this. In terms of then returning to the other person or sharing with the other person your experience or being curious about theirs or what does that look like for you? Yeah, it'll happen with an exchange with with a person or it will happen even on my own. If it, okay. So when you were talking about, you know, continuously feeding yourself in those moments, but I've noticed too that, and I'm not an angry person at all. I mean, yeah. you know, even parenting my kids, I was the one that would not raise my voice. I would go in the room, mm. get down on my knees at their eye level, you know, even when they were three years old and just talk to them and just talk, walk Love through that. this stuff, you know, because that's the, my dad was the very same way, you know, and mm-hmm. so it's difficult to shove me over the edge. But when I notice that I'm over the edge, mm-hmm. I, I'm able to notice it faster now after mm-hmm. doing this integration work that I've discovered. And, whether, and when it's in an exchange with somebody, I will need to say, as soon as I re- recognize it's like, hold on, time out. I'm sorry. It's I'm creating the pause thing. I need a moment, please. You know, this, mm-hmm. I, and I don't focus in the moment. I don't focus anything on the other individual telling them okay. that they're angry too, or wh- whatever that is. It's just, as soon as I, it's like, I, we need a pause. I need, even just saying, I need a pause for a moment. C- give me 20 minutes, wh- whatever yeah. it is, please. And then allowing myself to feel this. However, at the same time, if I notice this by myself and I start thinking about a scenario with an individual and it's before, it's usually before, it's interesting because your head does this, you know, to yourself, Uh you know, it's almost like torture, I think. (laughs) Yes. Before you go into a conversation, Uh with somebody, if you're going to call them, see them in person, I notice sometimes these come up. Yes. You know, before I'm even frustrated and angry, my brain will go into some kind of negative feedback loop. And then that's a moment where I will delay conversation with that person, you know, mm. or seeing that person, you know, say I'm, I'm running late, whatever, just for a few minutes so I can allow myself that time to, to say, okay, what is it about this conversation that I haven't even had yet? <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that is causing me to feel this way. What am I expecting that to to happen on this? Do I have wrong expectations? Is it because of the way that I'm feeling already? Maybe something else that completely unrelated is mm-hmm. causing me to go into this. So, it, but it takes that moment to delay that, even delay that conversation that you haven't had yet, because you. This is I, I'm assuming this is human nature. You'll start to already plan in your head how that conversation is going to go and how it can go badly. Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to predict potential threat. Yeah, and this right? is the, exactly, and this is the difference between what I feel relationships should be in a creation mode and saying, this is what I want to create in my relationship versus mm-hmm. saying, this is what I want to run away from, I want to stay away from. So absolutely. In those moments, it's like, if I'm going into the conversation with that, I'm already trying to plan what I want to stay away from in the conversation, which mm-hmm. is not the way that I want to show up in any sort of relationship. Yeah. I'm so impressed with the self-awareness that you just Thank described. You. <laughs> really? I'm serious. I'm thinking, wow, if more people could actually identify, I'm feeling some kind of way as I'm thinking about contact with this person, what is that about? Does it have anything to do with the person and past exchanges with them and beliefs that I've started to create about this person and not about their behavior? Is it about 
past painful experiences that had nothing to do with this person? Is it about something else that happened earlier today? Yeah, I mean, it that could is, even be little to your big T trauma from when you're a kid because now yes. you're projecting the way that you were treated onto that person and thinking that's going to go the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also describe this process of, you know, recognizing kind of, you know, approach versus avoidance motivation and also you know people are as humans because of our brain's negativity bias we are so good at using our imagination to create worst case scenario (laughs) yep right and you you hear i mean we all do this and it takes you know the practice of i tell my clients all the time okay that's great so now you've created worst case scenario and it can be helpful because you can think about what would you do in that situation and at the same time equal time for best case scenario Bingo. Use your imagination to create best case scenarios. So if you think about having a conversation with this person, an example you gave, it's, you know, what would what would meaningful connection with this person feel like? You know, how can I play a part in creating that? I love right? that. That's amazing. Wow. I think that's where we should stop for today. Okay. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was great. Oh my goodness. This is a, we've covered so many things today and I, I think we got really, really deep. We talked a lot on the last episode and go look up the last episode too, because that was a lot of, I feel surface level and today was a deep dive. So if you want to know where Gem and I were coming from today, <laughs> you've got to listen to the previous episode. So look that up. Uh, Gemma, you're awesome. Oh my gosh. So I, are I love you. Our so are Thank you. you. I, I love your investment in personal growth and you like role modeling that for people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, that's the only way I think is to try to forge the path myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. GemmaRainCoaching.com and on TikTok because Gemma is a freaking viral TikTok star. <laughs> 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 yep. Gemma Rain Coaching on TikTok. Gemma, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is always just so fun and stimulating and gets my brain going. I love it. 